This is Teresa Amabile, and you're listening to Leader Lab. So who are you and what do you do? Well, my name is Teresa Amabile. I'm a social psychologist by training, and I'm a professor at Harvard Business School. I am passionate about researching and writing about and actually helping leaders understand about motivation, creativity, innovation, and engagement at work. Well, welcome into the Leader Lab. We're uh, we're a big fan. I'm, I've been a big fan of your research for a while uh, in creativity, and now in a new your, your new research study that you're presenting in the book, The Progress Principle, deals with a term that I think is fascinating. You call it inner work life. Tell us what is inner work life. Inner work life is the combination of emotions, perceptions, and motivations that people experience as they react to the events unfolding in their workday. So it's it's your emotional reactions when something happens. You know, could be that something happens that makes you feel happy or frustrated or proud, angry perhaps or sad. And when something happens simultaneously with those emotions, you're also having uh, thoughts, impressions, you're forming judgments um, instantaneously about what it is that happened. You're trying to make sense of it. Uh, what does this mean about my organization where I'm working? What does this mean about my boss, my coworkers, the work itself? And maybe even what does this mean about, about me as, as an employee here? So th- those are all perceptions that you have when something happens at work. And and those emotions and perceptions can combine together to influence your motivation, which is just your drive for doing what you're doing. Uh, we're most focused in, in our research on intrinsic motivation, which is passion or deep interest in doing the work itself. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be fun to be intrinsically motivating, but it has to be somehow captivating, engaging, uh, you have to feel personally challenged by what you're doing in order to be intrinsically motivated. Uh, of course, we're all motivated by extrinsic motivation as well, which is um, making money for what we do, um, getting getting bonuses and getting benefits and all of that. Uh, but you know, both of those motivations can combine and sometimes work against each other uh, in in driving people in their work. So it's it's a combination of all of those things that we call inner work life, which turned out to be so important for people in their everyday well-being at work and in how well they'll perform. I totally agree, and I, you see it in, in the research. And I think, you know, there's an interesting trend as we shift, you know, from an industrial age to uh, an information age and more towards knowledge work. I think that makes the role of inner work life even more important. It becomes less about manpower and efficiency and more about creativity um, and, and cognitive abilities, and I think you know, inner work life resides in the mind, and therefore, if you're relying on cognitive assets, then it makes it all the more important. Yes, I, I agree. I actually think that that inner work life is important for people, no matter what kind of work they do. We focus our research primarily on people who are professionals, uh, who are working at fairly high-level jobs that require a lot of creativity. But I believe that, that, that the same principles really do apply uh, to people no matter what they're doing. 
that people do better work. They're more productive and more creative if they if they care about what they're doing and if they feel good about what they're doing. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and interesting segue into the research. I want to talk, before we get into um, the title principle from the, the new book, I want to talk a little bit about the research study that, that allowed for this discovery because it's, it's incredibly rigorous. But talk about how you set up this research study and, and who you were looking at and what you asked participants to do. My co-author, Steve Kramer, and I were interested in what really happens inside people's hearts and minds while they're trying to do something important at work, while they're trying to do a creative project at work. Let me just say that we had a lot of collaborators in this research. Many people over a number of years were involved in helping us with this work. But as psychologists, Steve and I decided that the best way to get a true picture, a true window into what was going on psychologically with people day by day at work and how it was influencing their performance was to ask people to send us a confidential electronic daily diary about their workday at the end of the day. So we, we got a number of volunteers from several different creative project teams in seven companies in three different industries. And we asked these people, once, once they were willing to participate in the study, we asked them to fill out a daily diary form that we would email to them every day. We asked them to fill it out at the end of the workday about that particular workday. So this was kind of a real time taking their temperature in terms of their, their inner work life. So we had some numerical questions on the the daily diary form that asked about their emotions that day at work, asked about their perceptions, their their thoughts and impressions of their organization and their work and their coworkers and their boss, and also asked about their motivation, their intrinsic motivation for the work and their extrinsic motivation as well. The most interesting piece to us, David, was the open-ended question at the end of the daily diary form, and that was briefly describe one event that occurred today at work that stands out in your mind. It can be anything at all as long as it was relevant to the work or the project today, and we just let people tell us their story from, from the day. These were incredibly rich, often very detailed accounts of of events that happened in people's workday. So we, using those data and also using some, some separate performance data that we got, we were able to draw connections between inner work life and performance and then to back up and say, all right, what influences inner work life? And we, we actually were able to look at the events that people were reporting from their day, and look at how those events impacted in a work life. The biggest and, and the, the title discovery from this, this new book is the progress principle. What is the progress principle? Well, David, we found that of all the things that can lead to good in our work life, that can make people feel really engaged in their work, the single most important event is simply making progress in meaningful work even if that progress seems kind of small or incremental, uh, even if it's what we call a small win, it can have a powerful positive impact on emotions, perceptions, and motivations that day. 
Now, now this is interesting because my, you know, my my management background says no, 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 no. That would be monetary incentives, right? Or that would be extrinsic motivators. That would be things that if we promise that you'll do this, we can get better performance out of people. And, and what you're saying is that progress is the most important. I, I think there's an interesting study you did looking at actual practicing managers and, and how well progress fared in their opinion, too. And it, it seemed to be similar than, than my initial gut reaction. This was one of our most surprising findings, David. We wondered if this was obvious to managers, the, the progress principle. is Do they know the power of progress to motivate people? We thought in one sense it seemed kind of obvious because when we tell people the progress principle, they'll sometimes say, well, sure, of course, people feel good when they make progress. I feel good when I make progress in work that I care about. But we didn't think it was so obvious to managers because when we did our study, we found that in these daily diaries, we didn't see evidence of a lot of managers actually supporting progress consistently on a day-by-day basis. In fact, we found many people struggling to make progress in work against obstacles that, to our mind, could easily have been removed by managers who were paying attention. So we, we surveyed almost 700 managers around the world, asking them to rank order five employee motivators in terms of how important they thought these motivators were. And we included the usual suspects, the kinds of things that that you think about from your own managerial experience, your own work experience, and the kinds of things that we tend to teach about in business school, incentives uh, for doing the work, tangible incentives, recognition, clear goals in the work, and interpersonal support. Those are all motivators, of course. But we wanted to know when those things were lined up against progress, if we asked managers to rank these in terms of which they thought was the most important versus the second, third, fourth, and fifth most important, would they actually put progress at the top? And they didn't. They did not. Number one was recognition, uh, which, which, which is a motivator for people, but it's, it wasn't number one by a long shot in our research. And uh, in fact, it turns out that among these 700 managers, progress ranked dead last. It ranked number five out of these five motivators. And only 5% of these managers picked progress as the number one motivator. They were actively saying they didn't think it was that important. And as you know from simple statistics, if they were picking their their choices randomly, uh, at least 20% of them should have said progress is number one, but they didn't. So this is really not recognized uh, as very important by managers. Sad but true reality. No, you, you're absolutely right. That that idea gives it, it hints at a deliberate deliberate unawareness of, of the power of progress um, from people who are on the front line who should be able to see, based on the different elements they try, which one works the best. And yet, you know, they're, they're making a conscious effort to rank that one last, especially if only 5% are, are willing to go out and say it, it doesn't. I don't think practicing managers are actively uh, trying to work against progress, at least not most that we saw. I think that they, they, they're failing to support Support progress is is unwitting, and you know the opposite of progress support actually happens fairly often. 
I don't think that managers are, are trying actively to impede people's uh, ability to make at least small wins in their work every day, but I think it's that they're not paying attention to it. No, I, I think you're right, and, and that's an interesting segue into my, my next question, which is we know about the progress principle. We know what it is. We know that progress is a great contributor, the, the strongest contributor to inner work life. Now, if I'm a manager and I'm running a team, what can I do to help enhance that, to, to either encourage and have people see progress or to reduce the setbacks that discourage people from progress, the, the sort of down, logical downside of the progress principle? Right. Uh, let me say something about that downside, first of all, because there, there really is a pretty bad dark side to the progress principle. It's not just about progress. It's also about setbacks in the work. Uh, and, and setbacks are just the opposite of progress, so feeling like you're stalled in your work or you're being blocked somehow, or even that you're going backwards in what you're trying to do and the most important work you're trying to do. We found, unfortunately, that setbacks have a negative impact on inner work life that's two to three times stronger than the positive impact of progress. So it's really important for managers to try to uh, dampen and reduce the inhibitors to progress uh, in the work environment. And there are very specific things they can do. First of all, of course, managers have to become aware of the progress principle, the power that that has to motivate people, progress events, and the demotivational effects of of lack of progress, how that can lead to disengagement. The most fundamental thing that managers need to do is make sure people have meaning in their work, that they have a sense of purpose in what they're doing. Whatever their work is, it should be possible for managers to help people see a connection between what, what their daily work is and and some higher purpose that people can care about, whether it's uh, helping the organization to retain its viability and its good reputation or to improve its reputation and its viability in the marketplace. Ideally, uh, managers will be able to help everybody in the organization see a connection between what they're doing and serving customers with a great product or a great service or solving complex problems for their customers, their clients. And maybe it's even a higher purpose of, of serving society as well by, by creating something that will really move things forward, whether it's a medical uh, device, a pharmaceutical, or something that will make people's lives easier by you know advanced technology or people's lives more enjoyable by, by some wonderful service. That meaning is really, really crucial. Progress is kind of hollow if you're making progress on something you really don't care about. And I think that's a really interesting and a really key point and, and a good role for managers in a sense that it's not just it's not just a when we say meaning it's not just a huge social impact or uh, you know that warm fuzzy feeling of doing good in the world. Sometimes it can be things as little as uh, helping the organization get back into the black or helping them just you know, increase their public image a little bit, or even just serve customers and tying whatever function it is, even if it's manning a server farm, back into how it serves the customer, provides that right amount of meaning and enough meaning to be able to leverage the progress principle. Exactly. And if, if the meaning is there, then you're really well set up to to get catalyst to progress going. And we use the word catalyst because these, these are specific actions 
that managers can take every day, and they're not exotic. They're they're pretty ordinary things, but they can enormously catalyze people's ability to make progress in their work, whether it's small wins along the way or ultimately big breakthroughs in the work. So setting clear goals uh, on this meaningful work is, is, is very basic, and that has to be in place. People have to know where they're trying to go as well as why it matters. But within those clear goals, it's also important to give people autonomy, as much autonomy as possible in how to achieve those goals so that they can engage their own talents, their own creativity, their expertise, their experience, and bring that to bear on on the problem. That makes people much more engaged in the work, and it also makes the work go more smoothly because people on the front lines, the people who are actually in the trenches doing the work, know the work best. They know what needs to be done moment to moment. And and they, they do develop that expertise over time. So for someone to try to micromanage everything that, that someone's doing, not only just won't work because the manager doesn't know the work as well as the people on the front lines, it also demotivates people. So, uh, you know, it's it's best to balance the clear goals with autonomy in the work. And there are a number of other catalysts. These catalysts are all in service of progress, which is the big thing that supports inner work life. These catalysts also um, propel inner work life partly because they make progress more likely and progress has such a great impact on inner work life. But also when people know they're getting a catalyst, that can immediately make them feel great even before it, 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 it can help them make progress. Let me give you an example. Another important catalyst is giving people sufficient resources to do the work. I know that sounds incredibly boring and mundane, but you'd be surprised how often managers don't really pay attention to whether people have at least sufficient resources to get their work done day by day. And another catalyst is help. Just do people have access to the help they need? If they've got technical difficulties in the work, might there be some other group or some other individual inside the organization or even outside who can help them overcome those technical difficulties? Is there some information that I can help get get for my people so that they can make more progress? So when you when you need, for example, a new piece of equipment to do something important to make progress in your most important projects, and you find out you're going to be able to get that equipment, that that new resource, when you find out, you feel great because you know you're going to be able to get move forward, but you also know that you're valued. This is kind of a signal to you that the work you're doing has value and that you as an employee have value. So, you know, that's how a catalyst can influence both progress and inner work life. So, um getting sufficient resources, getting help with the work, uh, having enough time. Time is one of the most interesting factors we've studied. We found that the the optimal level of time pressure for creative productivity is kind of low to moderate time pressure, where people know that what they're doing does have a deadline, it's needed, but where they have at least enough time to explore alternative options talk to other people about what they're doing, gather new ideas, try to put things together in a way that will be really useful, elegant, uh, will go beyond expectations ideally. 
we found that the most common kind of time pressure inside organizations is where people feel that they're running on a treadmill all the time. And we actually call this being on a treadmill. It's very common in, in modern organizations, especially now that we have people often trying to do the work of two, even three individuals who might have been in the organization previously, uh, where you're doing a lot of things all day that aren't necessarily related to each other and not necessarily related to the most important creative work that you need to get done to, to move things forward in the organization. So you're running on a treadmill and you're trying to deal with all kinds of things at once, but you're not really covering ground. You're not really getting anywhere on that most important work. It's really hard for people to come up with creative ideas on those days. We did find one kind of time pressure that can that can boost creative productivity and intrinsic motivation, and we call that being on a mission where you know what you're doing is truly urgent, there's a desperate need for it, and it's something you believe in. So this is meaningful work. You have a sense of real purpose in what you're doing, but this is really important. You're protected from distractions, from unrelated demands. Either you protect yourself by maybe finding a conference room that's unoccupied and you can hole up for the day, work just alone or with the couple of people that you need to, to tackle this problem with, or where your manager protects you from these these uh, unrelated demands. So being on a mission, that kind of time pressure for a certain period of time can actually boost intrinsic motivation and productivity. People will be exhausted, but they'll feel really jazzed. And, and that's a condition in which you can make a lot of progress. You can't do it for a long time or you'll burn out. But for punctuated periods of time here and there, um, on a mission time pressure can actually help. So another important catalyst is learning from problems. The best teams, the best companies that we've studied had an atmosphere of what's called psychological safety, where people feel that it's okay to make mistakes as long as the effort was good. Um, mistakes are an absolutely necessary part of doing complicated work, uh, where it's okay to try an experiment that fails. As long as you can step back and say, okay, let's you know, rather than attacking the person or persons who, who did this experiment or who made this mistake, let's look at what happened. Let's dissect it and see what we can learn here. Uh, what lessons can we glean that we can use going forward? How can this help us in the work? That can actually turn a setback into a progress event. And, and it, can, it can keep inner work life afloat even when things are very difficult technically. So learning from problems is, is very important, as well as learning from successes, by the way. So when something works out, not just saying, okay, that's done, it worked out, let's go on, but just taking a few minutes to understand why did it work and how can we use that going forward. And the last catalyst that we identified, and I don't mean this is a comprehensive list, but these are the things that were most prominent in our research. The last one is I allowing ideas to flow uh, within the group and within the organization, and even with others outside the organization. And having an atmosphere where new ideas are welcome, where they're not squashed, where they're not overly harshly criticized right off the bat. 
Not that all ideas will be accepted, not by any means, but that they will all be respected. And actually, the best teams are those where there's a lot of debate about ideas. People do challenge each other's ideas, but it's clear that they're all in the game together. They can trust each other. They have a psychological safety, and they know if my idea isn't accepted now, I'm going to be just as, as, as able to bring my ideas forward and have people consider them in the future, and, and my ideas will be accepted at some points. So lots of lots of swirl around excitement about new ideas in an organization. So those those are really the seven catalysts that we found to be most important. Clear, meaningful goals for the work, allowing autonomy in how to do the work, providing sufficient resources, giving enough time, but not too much, helping with the work, learning from problems and successes, and allowing ideas to flow. And one of the things I, I uh, absolutely love about the book is if you, uh, if you are a time-crunched manager and you don't know how to internalize everything from this book and there's a lot to internalize, there's a handy checklist to go through every day and, and see how well have I stimulated inner work life, how well have I encouraged and, and, um, and put, sought out progress for all of my people. And I love that about the book. It's an, it's an awesome resource. And so and I you know, encourage David, our listeners to check it out. Oh, yeah, sorry, and, and let, let me describe, David, that checklist that you just mentioned is something that grew out of a practice that we saw a couple of superb team leaders using uh, in our diary study. They seemed to naturally keep in touch with what their people were doing on a day-by-day basis, not hanging over their shoulder, not micromanaging, but they were in there working closely enough with people that they could see what progress they made every day and what was standing in the way. There are a lot of inhibitors. The opposite of catalysts are inhibitors, and all you have to do is turn those catalysts around, and you can imagine the inhibitors, unclear goals or goals that are constantly shifting uh, not getting help with the work, not having access access to the resources that you need for the work, or, or having the sense that that uh, mistakes are going to be punished. The best team leaders were able to ferret out these inhibitors wherever they were incur- occurring, and and undo them, dampen them, find ways around them, find ways to, for example, get resources for the team, find ways to champion the project in the organization so that people would listen to the ideas that were coming out of the project. Uh, That is what we instantiate in that daily checklist. And it need not take more than five or six minutes a day. But just to keep that on the radar screen, think about progress, what's catalyzing it, what inhibitors might be standing in the way, and also what kind of nourishers and toxins might be influencing people's emotions and perceptions and motivation daily in terms of, you know, the positive nourishers like getting encouragement for the work, getting respect and recognition, or the opposite. Um, Are people being disrespected? Is there unproductive interpersonal conflict going on? And And we do walk managers through ways that they can recognize these things, head them off at the past before they ever start, or deal with them effectively if they get going on the negative side. No, absolutely, and it's, it's a fascinating resource. I, I uh, want to obviously want to encourage listeners to check out the Progress Principle. Get the uh, get in and find ways to use the checklist as you're leading your own team. 
Um, I'd like to shift the focus over to you for a quick second and ask, what are you reading right now? You know, that's an interesting question, David. I have been going back through Peter Drucker, who wrote so many books, uh, but they're really wonderful. And and I find new resonance, resonance in his research and in his writings now that I've done this research and written the progress principle, uh, th- there's there's so much he says that that is that gives deep insight into what the responsibilities of management are, um, how managers should conceive of what they do, how they should even think about the people who work inside their organization. He's got this great quote where he says, "They're not employees; they're people." So he has this wonderful way of humanizing the people who work inside organizations and helping managers to see the humanity of the people who work for them and who work with them at the same time that he's a clear-eyed realist about the pressures that managers are under. And we certainly saw this in our research. We are very sympathetic to managers. Management is a really tough job. There are so many things to think about, especially with the economic turmoil we have going on now. There's a danger there. It's, it's, I think it's possible for managers to get so focused on their their long-term strategic goals and, unfortunately, more and more on their very short-term strategic goals or short-term financial outcomes that they can lose sight of the people who actually make the strategy work or not, the people who can make the difference between success and failure for the organization. And those are the people who are in the trenches every day trying to do the work of the organization. Mm, and and I love that. And that's it's interesting you bring that up. I, I didn't think back to Drucker, but now that you mentioned I do. But my my overarching lesson that I learned when I read the Progress Principle was that idea of, of what do managers do? And you know, there's a there's a I think a misconception that managers manage people. And I don't know that that's true. I think we find in the research of the Progress Principle that the good managers, at least, are the ones that manage resources and get them to people so that those people who are in charge of making those contributions and doing the real work in the trenches can do it and do it well. And I think that's an important distinction between managing people and managing resources, getting them to people. And they're not two different things, no matter what the HR department chooses to call itself this decade. Exactly. Uh, Don't think of what you're doing as managing people as much as managing progress, managing the conditions that can support progress. And, and resources is a big piece of that. You're absolutely right, and I think that's that's an important reason we uh, we at the Leader Lab absolutely loved the lessons in the Progress Principle. I'm looking forward to reading uh, more on the uh, geeking out more on the research side myself. But I know most of the time we uh, we at the Leader Lab like to translate that research so our listeners and our uh, blog readers don't have to. And that's what I love about the Progress Principle. It puts it in real practical terms, but there's a, a rigorous amount of research behind it. So, Teresa, thank you so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab. It was a real pleasure for me, David. Thank you. 